that elicits a, a longing for a certain lifestyle. But do not separate or divorce what you're being called to do from the, the introductory statements about who you are. This is the way we've said it. I've said it a hundred times. Imperatives grow out of indicatives. Who I am is an indicative, and the imperative grows out of that, not the other way around. Now, with that said, take a look at verse 16, which is all we'll get to cover tonight. And then we'll have to pick up the pace for the last three weeks. But um, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Now, again, guys, this is Paul's doctrine of the church. I've said that several times before, too. This is what Paul is describing. What Paul is describing is what a church should look like that is dominated by his spirit, by God's spirit. And he said, he says that some of the characteristics of that church is that they live in harmony. They are not haughty. They associate with the lowly and are never considered. Now, guys, there are basically three clauses in that text. The first one, um, um, live in harmony with one another. That's number one. Um, the second one is do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And then the third one, never be conceited. Interestingly, in those three clauses, what is found there in each one of them is some form of the word mind. Now, guys, in, in the Greek language, um, I, I, I don't think I'm going to, because that machine doesn't like me, but... Uh, I'm not going to write, but the, the Greek word for mind is the word noose. And there are, there, in every one of those clauses, in all three of their clauses, there is, a, there is a word in each of those clauses that have as its root mind. Paul is mentioning three different faults, or at least faulty tendencies, of the mind. He's condemning three different tendencies of the mind. And, and the link in all three of these, these, um, these clauses is that word, mind. Now, guys, here's lesson number one. All behavior is ultimately traceable to how we think. Um, now, to give you an example. Uh, that's a silly one, but, um, you know, I don't see anybody here tonight dressed in their pajamas. Well, maybe a couple of you, but um, nobody came over here tonight dressed in their pajamas. Why? Because you have evaluated this setting, evaluated, you've done some thinking, maybe, uh, you know, uh, unconsciously, but as a result of how you perceive this setting, you put on a certain set of clothes. Uh, let, me, let me say it a different way. The origin of conduct is in your thought life. And that's what you see find with Paul unfolding in verse 16. Now, if that is true, if all behavior and conduct is ultimately traceable to your thought life, if that's true, and it, and it is, then think with me. What becomes utterly imperative? Well, I'll answer my own question. What is imperative 
is altering how I think to come to an accord with the precepts that I find in this book. That is, I have got to learn, you know, we talk about thinking God's thoughts after him. Guys, ultimately, the thing that changes your behavior is not some sermon that you will hear trying to spank you verbally and producing some kind of guilt. What changes our behavior is, is when we come to when we begin to think differently and thinking in accord to this book. Tell me, who is giving you biblical input? Who is making biblical input to your thought life? Because ultimately, guys, that's what's going to determine uh, your behavior. I, I make that point because Paul is is pleading. For three different kinds of um, exhortations in verse 16, and all of them have a word in them having to do with the mind. Now, the first clause is live in harmony with one another. Um, Just literally translated, being of the same mind. That is, we are called to have a common mind. But are we ever prone to differ, are we not? Um, we had a situation this past Sunday where a, a, a couple who was, who was here for the very first time, very first time, kind of um, uh, very aggressively said to one of our staff members, do you believe in pre-tribulation rapture? Now, guys... Forget the whole theological argument of of millennialism. Just forget that for a second. Think of that. I come to a church for the first time, and I grab one of the pastors and I say, Now you tell me, are you pre-trib in your view of the rapture? I want to say, well, I don't want to tell you what I want to say. You know, guys, um, we are called to be of the same mind, and yet, uh, in fact, these other two injunctions that are going to follow are enemies of that harmony of the same mind. Um, High-mindedness and conceit, we'll come to that in a minute. But guys, we balk, the Christian church balks at this common mind business, because as you know, you know, I'm a, I'm an independent thinker. I, you know, I think on my own. I don't want anybody telling me how to believe. I, you know, I do my own thinking. Well, that's applaudable in a lot of ways, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I will say that Jesus Christ, seeing that the church needed to gain good instruction, gave to the church this whole office of teacher. But, I mean, maybe, maybe we don't need that. Maybe we don't need that. But, um, um, but guys, just, just to make this as easy as I can, um, we don't all share the same views. Okay. I don't think that is necessary. And I don't think that's what's in view here. But can we agree on this? Can we agree? Can we start here that God's word rules us? That the final arbiter of the truth is God's word. And not only that, it is the source of all of my moral instruction. Take the issue of abortion. What is your view of abortion? 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, what you need to do, what both of us need to do, is to bring our, our, ourselves underneath this book and say, okay, what does it say about a subject? And then agree to yield to it. Don't yield to Jimmy Young, you'll get yourself in a big mess of trouble. But we're going to both yield. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you ever been in a church fight? You ever, you ever say one of those things? I got a book in my library called Great Church Fights. And there's a, there's a few of them in the, in the New Testament. But, um, you know, people get all exercised about their position, and you'll hear somebody say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm telling you. What? You don't care what the Bible says. Who are you? Guys, um, if we, we, we're not going to agree on everything. And, you know, Gracie Van, I think, has done a real good job of saying, you know, guys, um, there, there's a lot of stuff over which we can afford to disagree. But this thing, we cannot afford to disagree about. Can we agree that the final arbiter of the truth is God's word, which means that from time to time, I'm going to have to yield, I'm going to have to submit, not only to it, I may need to yield to you. Ooh, that's not, that's very distasteful. <laughs> but from time to time, we are going to, we are going to submit ourselves to the examination and the scrutiny, scrutiny of this book and when we come to find out what he has said, we say, thus saith the Lord, let's get back to work. <clears throat> Guys, if we can agree just on that, then I think we have taken at least the first step of living in harmony. Having the same mind. Having this common mind. Now, guys, these next two clauses in verse 16 are things that Paul sees as being incompatible with harmony. Look at that. And, and, boy, that's a, kind of an understatement. Um, do not be haughty. Uh, that's that's, in, that's um, incompatible with harmony. Um, associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. When those things exist, my brother and sister in Christ, then harmony among God's people are threatened. Um, again, the word uh, do not be haughty, um, literally, I mean, you could, you could, the word mind, and it's mind not high things, uh, but associate with the lowly. Or, just kind of give you know, a, a, an alternate translation of that last, but associate with the lowly, or give yourself to humble tasks. Or you just—you you don't need to turn here. I mean, I'll be out of here before you can find it. But uh, listen to this statement of the psalmist. Here's a man who understood the danger of haughty, high-mindedness. He says, "O Lord, my heart is not lifted up; my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me." Pardon me. That's a man who understood the danger that Paul is addressing. He's addressing, actually, ladies and gentlemen, the danger of ambition. The grasping of position. 
Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. But grasping for position destroys harmony. You know, guys, uh, years ago, we were interviewing a man for a job here, and he's really a good guy. And actually, he turned us down, and, you know, I've, I've been angry ever since. But um, uh, he was a good guy. We wanted him, and we didn't get it. But, I mean, if you're an elder here tonight, you will remember this, that in our process or in the, 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 uh, the process of interviewing him, if he asked this one time, he asked it 12 times. He wanted to know who is the lead elder. And we would look at each other and just laugh. There is no lead elder. <laughs> there is not this cabal of people within the 13 elders. Who's the lead elder? I don't know. We just make the biggest fun. And I think, where in the world did you adopt such a notion that in every church you got a power broker? You ever experienced that, ladies and gentlemen? A power broker. Guys, there is to be no aristocracy in the church, no cliques. Um, what we do, though, is we prefer the high and pass over the low. I want to read you something. Um, this, is, this is written by Jesus' half-brother. He had the same mother, but not the same father. Um, uh, listen to this. This is uh, James chapter 2. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down here at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. God has not... Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? This is a problem that existed in the early church. It's a problem that exists in the 21st century church, too. <clears throat> the catering to the wealthy. Um, you know, guys, um, we offer you numerous opportunities. We have one Sunday. We offer you numerous opportunities. I tell you every every November. I tell you before Easter every year. Here are some benevolent opportunities for you. Here's a here's a here's a thing that you can do. And one of the things that I think in the, in terms of the language of this text, I think it would offer us the opportunity to associate with the lowly. Now, tell me, my brother and sister in Christ, why do you not take advantage? Of those opportunities. You know, there's a song that we sing, um, and and um, actually, it's really a, a, a just taken right out of scripture. It goes like this: Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, for He will. Live. You know that song? Okay. So that not only the song, but the text—that is, the the New Testament—tells us that we are to humble ourselves. How do you do that? Let's just say, okay, well, I see that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go humble myself. Mm -hmm. What's your first step? What's the first thing you're going to do? Well, guys, um, here's one way. Associate with the lowly. Our Savior did. I mean, that, 
I, I read you this last week, but I, I found it again in in, um, in Matthew chapter 11. Um, uh, we, we read this. Um, Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Guys, the church's message, the, the, um, the, the Christian gospel, has always been better received by the poor. I mean, do you know where the church is growing now? It's not in the West. It's in China, Africa, um, South America. But I'm afraid we are so hungry for the applause of men that we find ourselves guilty of having ambition that we didn't even know we had. One of the, th one of the things that we can do is associate with the lowly. Clay, are you in here? Is Clay here or did he jet someplace? In the end of May, we usually do that thing uh, down, in, down t um, at the Memphis Union Mission. Come go with us. Come go with us. Come associate with the lowly because we're instructed to. And it might move us towards a greater posture of humility. Take your kids. Let them see the homeless. Sit next to the homeless. Sit next to the people who are there just because we're offering free food. Um, don't be haughty. See, what, the avoiding of the lowly is because we're haughty. Guys, there is a danger in high things. I, I, I plead with you, avoid things and people who inflate you, who appeal to your desire to think highly of yourself. Guys, all of us have to fight that. We all want to. We all want the world to recognize who we are. <laughs> um, that's an enemy of, of church harmony. It's also um, it's a piece of real spiritual sickness on our parts. The third one is um, this is really interesting. Um, never be conceited. Literally, um, it, Paul says, be not wise with yourself. He is mentioning, among other things, intellectual pride. Um, you know, somebody who would come in and say, do you believe in pre-tribulation, uh, pre-trib rapture, whatever it is. You tell me what that is. Guys, there's nobody more guilty of, of being wise with ourselves than preachers. And what's, what's, I mean, the worst of them all are the reformed preachers, like myself. Um, intellectual pride is absolutely foolish. It's not that it's so wicked. It is wicked. But it's just foolish. Let me read you this. Um, now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Guys, there's a statement in the book of Romans that we looked at ten years ago in chapter one that says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. You know, one of my heroes is a man by the name of Calvin, John Calvin. And Calvin said, no man had it, no man ever has it over 70% right. Not to speak to some of my friends, and, um, or at least, and I'm, I'm just as guilty, guys. Coming out of seminary, you know, they say it takes you five years to get over your seminary education. Um, because the first five years, you're just going to be nothing but a liability for some church who hopefully will love you long enough for you, you can get over yourself. Guys, the book of Proverbs says pride uh, precedes destruction. Pride de- precedes the fall. Um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a statement out of the book of Proverbs. But um, don't, ever, don't ever be conceited. Guys, um, you, only, you may give you one evidence of self-conceit. It'll just help you figure out whether I'm, I've got any of that. One evidence of self-conceit is a hypersensitive spirit. That is, people are always hurting my feelings. You know, um, you, you know why they're always hurting your feelings? Because they don't share your opinion of yourself. And because they don't, they say things that just, you know, just hurt my feelings. I'm sure that a lot of us can be very insensitive and boorish. Not me, of course, but um, <laughs> others of you could be uh, insensitive and boorish. But, and and I, I'm, I'm sure there's a legitimate thing called hurting somebody's feelings. But this hypersensitive spirit that I'm so concerned that, that everybody treat me the way I think I have estimated myself. Do not be wise with yourself. Now, um, I mentioned lesson number one. I said that lesson number one is if this whole text is talking about tendencies of the mind, if that's what this is, which I, 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 think, I think it is, I mean, it's, it's really remarkable that he, he mentions one word twice, actually, in, in two different clauses about the mind. So I said lesson number one. Lesson number one, what does that mean becomes imperative? And I said, where are you getting biblical intake? Because we, we have to alter the way we think, all of us together, bringing our thought life into accord with how we're supposed to think. You know, guys, um, this is a very offensive statement, but it just makes my point. So just kind of eliminate half of it. I, but I'm just trying to make a point, and it's, but it's boorish. You know... I don't care what your position on the tribulation is. I don't give a hoot. What I do care about is what has God said. Now let's both go there and try to figure it out. And there's going to be a, there are going to be times where we're just going to disagree, but we are both yielding to it as our final arbiter of the truth. It is our God. It is the source of our of all of our moral instruction. <clears throat> Guys, I marvel. Uh, for instance, what's your view of capital punishment? 
Don't tell me. But do you know what the Bible has to say about that? You don't get to come up with your own definition of capital punishment. What's your view of homosexuality? You know, guys, we've got to drag ourselves underneath this book and say, okay, instruct me as to how I should think. Because I'm really kind of wacky, you know, over these issues. What do you think about the, um, the, uh, the law, the new law in Arizona? Hmm. Get them Mexicans out of my, my, my country. Is that what you, is that, again, you know, let's, let's just all stop the rhetoric and go find out what, what would, how would God instruct us about that, ladies and gentlemen? Because there are tendencies of the mind that need, can only be corrected by yielding to the, and submitting to the precepts that are found here. Right, that was, that was lesson number one. Here's lesson number two. You're not going to like this one. Guys, our preoccupation in the Christian church with self-esteem is utterly lethal. I did a whole series on self-esteem years ago. You might, maybe ought to get that. Um, gang, I have parents sitting in my office. I had one last Thursday, and, and he was telling me, <clears throat> well, you know, my daughter did this terrible, terrible thing. And it was terrible, terrible. And um, she just has no self-esteem. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think that's the proper explanation of a piece of immoral behavior, you're, you're, you're misguided. Guys, the best self-esteem is no self-esteem. Actually, that's wrong. That's wrong. The best self-esteem is Christ-esteem. That is, my whole view of myself is because of belonging to Jesus Christ. My view of myself is not because I produce well, because people applaud me, because I make a lot of money. My, my, my whole image is that I, I belong to Christ. Give it up. It's a fool's errand, ladies and gentlemen. It's a fool, and the church is riddled with it. That's how we come to the place where we're conceited, we don't like to mess with the poor, and we're haughty. Our preoccupation with self-esteem is lethal. I'll say it again. Now, here's, um, here's lesson number three. Guys, uh, legalism, the Christian form of legalism, <laughs> encourages this kind of stuff. It doesn't fight it. And let me tell you why. Legalism f- um, spawns this because the standards are all wrong in legalism. That is, <clears throat> value is placed on those who performed well. Well, you know, uh, uh, I teach a Sunday school class at that church, and, uh, you know, we have Sunday night service, and I'm there every time. And, you know, uh, uh, I'm one of the bigger givers in the church. And, uh, and uh, so, so because we've got the wrong standards, um, we elevate people on, a, on the basis of all wrong standards. When my standard is Jesus Christ, then lowliness becomes beautiful. If I'm trying to emulate him and not the standards, not the code, not the list, not the, <clears throat> the church passions or whatever, guys, um, 
Legalism sucks the life out of the Christian church. And it's because all the standards are are, um, are wrong. Just wrong. You know, I've, um, tell me this. Um, is it easier to go to church on Sunday night or to love Thaddeus Matthews? Ladies and gentlemen, I can go to church every Sunday night. I can do that without any assistance from God the Holy Spirit. But to love that man, if God the Holy Spirit doesn't do that in my heart, I'll never accomplish it. What's easier? Going to church. And if that's my standard, wrong standards, ladies and gentlemen, they got to go. They got to go. Jesus looked at the scribes and the Pharisees and says, You tithe the mitten the coming. But you ignore the weightier matters of the law. Very frankly, tithing's easy for a lot of us. It's easy. I mean, I can do it. I can do it without any assistance from God. But uh, ignoring the weightier matters of the law, like kindness and goodness and long-suffering, only God the Spirit can can aid me in those things. <clears throat> okay, guys. Um, don't misunderstand me. I hope I haven't misled you because we're not looking for a church full of Uriah heaps. Uh, I think you hope, hopefully know that story. The obsequious, the uh, you know faking humility, which is always it's always obvious that it's um, it's pretense. Um, but then, okay, if, if if we're not supposed to be Uriah heaps, then then how can we <coughs> um, move more towards the standards that are being described by Paul in verse sixteen? Well. Two things, and I'm done. First of all, guys, we remind ourselves over and over and over again of what God has said. You know, I, I'm I'm trying to find this passage because um, it's just it's just such a wonderfully simple. Um, does anybody know? Uh, here it is. I know Micah was in here somewhere, but um, um, you, you know this text in, in Micah chapter 6? It says this. Um, okay. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That should, that should be something that is frequently on our lips, ladies and gentlemen, reminding ourselves of what God values. Uh, he doesn't value perfect church attendance that tends to puff up. Nothing wrong with church attendance, you know. If that becomes the standard by which I measure to be whether I'm spiritual or not, it's a it's a it's a it's a lethal thing. First of all, so I remind myself of what God has said. It, that was just one passage. Hundreds and thousands of others. I, re- I keep adjusting the way I think. Secondly, I learn the difference between what the Bible says about true wisdom and false wisdom. I'm going I'm to read this, and I'm done. Um, if you've ever found this passage, it is it is very searching. It is in James chapter three. Follow. <coughs> Listen, I'm just going to read six verses, and we're done. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast 
and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I remind myself, ladies and gentlemen, what does is, what is real wisdom look like? What is, the, what is the genuinely, spiritually wise look like? Just take a look at James 3.17 and it'll answer all the questions. It's good. Father, uh, it, is, it is far beyond us. And when you isolate the, the, the demand from the doctrine, we have absolutely no hope of stealing our will so that we can accomplish it. But the more we find uh, of the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he's done to save wicked people like me, the more my heart is enraptured by, by what, he's, what he finished for me, the, uh, the better chances I have of living something like this. Give us that, Lord, by, by the power of your spirit. Give us fresher and newer and more regular and frequent insights to the great beauty of Jesus' accomplished work. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.